It's impossible to demonstrate the shuffle in slow motion. It's too fast. World heavyweight champion boxer Muhammad Ali is at the top of his game in the 1960s, but after refusing to serve in the army during the Vietnam War, his boxing license is suspended. My future in boxing, well, right now, is dead. While Ali appeals his case to the United States Supreme Court, his career stops. If I can't work in the country, I can't leave the country, I got all kinds of bills and lawyers fees to pay. Many Americans have a dim view of Ali's opposition to the war, but he finds support on college campuses. I found it to be successful to let the people ask questions to me while I am here live in living color. This is From the Archives, a podcast from Iowa Public Radio featuring recently rediscovered historic audio from our archives. On this episode, Muhammad Ali takes a stand against the war. I'm not taking my draft card and burning it up. I haven't done nothing like that. But yet, I'm the scapegoat. I'm the bad one out of the whole bunch. After Ali is drafted and does not take the oath to serve during his induction ceremony, he is arrested and convicted of draft evasion. We who declare ourselves Muslims do not take parts in no wars that take lives of other humans. His future in boxing is unknown, and he also faces the possibility of spending five years in prison if his conviction is upheld. Everybody suffer for what they believe. Jesus went to jail. All of God's prophets went to jail. They all caught hell. So I'm going to suffer for what I believe. The war is still pretty popular in most of America. Jonathan Eig is a biographer who writes extensively about Ali. The opposition to the war is coming from college campuses, and that's why Ali likes these audiences. Number one, first, I am a Muslim. He's trying to explain what the Nation of Islam stands for and why he's willing to make this enormous sacrifice. I feel good knowing that I'm standing up for my belief. Muhammad Ali chooses an Iowa college to be one of his early college campus visits. On this episode of Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimple. So I had nothing to do today, and... On the University of Iowa campus in November 1967, Muhammad Ali holds a public discussion where he invites the audience to talk to him about anything. We don't take parts in no wars that take the lives of humans unless it's a holy war declared by Allah, God himself, or his messenger, or his prophet of that day. And this is uh, not going on. So it's not just Vietnam, no war. Ali says his religion is the reason he is not serving in the armed forces. I am a minister now of uh, the Islamic religion as taught by a leading teacher, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and it helps me meeting people and talking to people because uh, in a few minutes I would like to open this little time up for questioning period because there are many things you read about me in the newspapers, you see on the television, and you hear that are of controversy and other things and sports questions and religious questions and racial problems that we're now having in the country and the Vietnam crisis that I'm involved in and many questions. In 1964, Cassius Clay declares himself to be a Muslim. His spiritual advisor, Elijah Muhammad, gives him the name Muhammad Ali. Elijah Muhammad is a black separatist who has been leading the Nation of Islam since the 1930s he considers himself to be a messenger of Allah, the Arabic word for God. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, our leader, who teaches us that 
by nature, we are not Negroes. It's a name given to us during slavery. In the 1960s, it's common for black people to be described this way, but Ali pushes back on this word. There's no country named Negroes. Uh, Chinese are named after China. Cubans are named after Cuba. Puerto Ricans are named after Puerto Rico. Hawaiians are named after Hawaii. Mexicans are named after Mexico. Italians are named after Italy. Israelis are named after Israel. Egyptians are named after Egypt. What country's named Negroes? In April 1967, 25-year-old Muhammad Ali attends his induction ceremony, but does not respond when his name is called. On that same day, his boxing license is revoked, and his title as world champion is stripped by the World Boxing Association. My future in boxing, well, right now, is dead right now because the, uh, this army problem is so serious and so many people are dying in Vietnam and the hostility is so great for anybody who won't go. So uh, right now it would be impossible for me to really get in the ring and expect to make a living off of the people whose sons and daughters in Vietnam. I understand that. I can understand how they may feel about me, but it's just too bad they don't understand how serious I am about my religious beliefs. So right now, um, I don't think I'd have too much chance at fighting until this war is over, or until the judge in the high courts let me off. Ali is arrested and a jury convicts him of violating the Selective Service Law by refusing to be drafted. An appeal begins with the United States Supreme Court that would eventually result in a decision favorable to Ali in 1971. But in 1967, this process is just beginning. Well, for Sonny Liston to get the title back, he would have to whip me. He answers a question about former heavyweight champion Sonny Liston. Ali became the world champion by defeating Liston in 1964. Since Ali no longer has a license to box and his champion status is stripped, it's possible Liston could become the world boxing champion without fighting Ali. All of the controversy is based around me and everybody fighting for champions. There's only one real champion, legalized, physical champion, and that's me. They might not recognize it on paper, but physically I can whip them all. And for Sonny to get the title back, he would have to beat me. And before he do that, he would rather go to Vietnam with a BB gun. This kind of bragging is typical of Ali, who takes the opportunity to tease past and potential opponents. Ali takes many questions from the audience. For most of this recording, they are off mic, but this unidentified person can clearly be heard. The question that I hear most frequently, and I'm sure you hear it a good deal too, is why, with the precedent already established for what boxers and athletes do in the service, you didn't simply take the induction go in and do the exhibition boxing that would have been required of you rather than to uh, bring down so much difficulty on your own head? Yeah. Well, I say this. That's a good question, and a lot of people ask me that. Well, a few government officials themselves told me just what you did, that I wouldn't do nothing, that I'd just box exhibitions, work a hospital, or whatever I want. But here's one thing they must realize. Number one, first, I am a Muslim. I am a devout follower of the religion of Islam, which is believed in by some 750 million Muslims on earth. It's nothing new. My leader, Elijah Muhammad, is the most powerfulest black man that's ever been on the American scene. He has ordained me. Now, who is the American government or anybody to put me in jail now and say I'm not a minister? Who is to say I'm not sincere? This is also a period when civil rights movements across the country are gaining momentum. Ali is supportive, but distances himself. We don't take part in what you call civil rights. 
We have nothing against people who fight for what they call civil rights. See, uh, we have like 22, 25 million people here who are struggling, struggling for uh, freedom, justice, and equality. And our approaches are different. The same in war. Take Vietnam for an example. One man is fighting the war from the air. One man is on the land fighting. But they're all still fighting the same common enemy, they say. Are they all still? But they have different approaches. He says black people still carry identities forced upon them during the era of slavery in America. So here's 22 million people who don't have their names. Here's two, 22 million people who's been brainwashed to love white and actually hate themselves. Because when he was a little bitty boy, he was taught that Santa Claus brought him his toys. He saw a white man. <laughs> Unconsciously, this was brainwashing him. Then he got a little older. He went to church. He saw Jesus, a white man. He looked at all angels. He saw all white angels. No colored angels. All white angels. I guess the colored angels was in the kitchen preparing the milk and honey. <laughs> So he don't see, he don't see no colored angels. He look at Tarzan, the king of the jungle. All white, beating up all Africans. Oh, he's getting scared now. He look at the president, a white house. He look at the, go to the grocery store. He see the angel food cake is the white cake, but the devil food cake is a chocolate cake. So he hate black. Ali talks about race, sports, war, religion, and takes many opportunities to inject humor for 90 minutes. As he tries to wrap it up, a request is shouted out. The shuffle? Before I do the shuffle, I need one opponent. I need one opponent. I need a big man. She asked me, do I care to demonstrate the shuffle in slow motion? It's impossible to demonstrate the shuffle in slow motion. It's too fast. <laughs> slow motion cameras don't even detect the speed. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. See the shuffle, you gotta watch it because you barely can see it. <laughs> it's nothing that will, it's nothing, it's in that, 1,000, it one second. <laughs> it's a punch designed to get me out of trouble. If I'm in a corner, it's a quick shuffle of the feet that will confuse him for one second. And doing that one second, I spin out of the way. And then it's used in the center like this. Like if I'm in a little trouble and I'm a little tired and the fights, I'm a little behind on points. <laughs> I see all of the people booing me, you know, they get mad when I fight. I mean, <laughs> and the cameras and the lights all on me. And, five or six more seconds to go and I want to get in a good part or two, the shuffle confuses him for one second. And nine out of ten times the man will look. And as soon as he looks. So what I'm doing, see, we jumping. You see? See, I'm on my toes. See, I'm on my toes. See, I'm jabbing him, see? Confusing, 
Muhammad Ali in Iowa City, November 1967, demonstrating one of his trademark moves, the shuffle. This was part of a series of college campus visits across the country. Ali was the most hated man in America for many years. Biographer Jonathan Eig says college campuses are one of the few places Ali feels welcome and supported. The college kids were able to relate to him on a number of levels. One, because he's, he's a rebel. Ig says most Americans don't understand Ali's religion or agree with his stance on the war. To some people, it becomes an affront. What's wrong with America? What's wrong with Christianity? What's, what's this guy's problem? Jonathan Ig talks about the boxer's bold actions and how future sports figures are still influenced by Muhammad Ali. Next, on Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimple. Ever since the rejection of the draft and all of the controversial issues have came up, that my image in America among the magazines and the press is not too good. In 1964, Cassius Clay is an underdog boxer when he defeats an opponent to become the world heavyweight champion. A week later, he announces he is a member of the Nation of Islam and his name is now Muhammad Ali. Ali was in the middle of changing the concept of what a black athlete in America could be. Jonathan Eig is the author of an extensive Muhammad Ali biography. Eig says even before the war in Vietnam, Ali was challenging everything. I'm going to use this power that my celebrity gives me. I'm not going to be told what I can say and do. I'm going to fight for what I believe in. I'm going to stand up for my rights. I'm going to choose my name. You don't get to choose my name for me. I'm going to choose my religion. You don't get to choose my religion. Get used to it. And that was a, a real turning point. It's almost like a declaration of independence for black athletes in America. The draft is another thing coming up against my religious beliefs. He's been convicted of draft evasion, sentenced to five years in jail, and he's appealing that. So he's not sure when it's going to uh, shut, all shut down for him. But already, the, uh, American society is, is shutting him down and saying, you're not welcome anymore. When Ali is drafted, he applies for reclassification as a conscientious objector as a matter of religious principle. It is rejected, and the Department of Justice asserts the Nation of Islam's objection to the draft is based on politics and not a religious belief. The sincerity of Ali's beliefs are in question. Just the mere fact of me giving up the heavyweight championship of the whole world and might be in a jail for five long years, then what do I have to do to be sincere? So I'm not on trial, justice is on trial. He's got his lawyers working on this. Is he going to jail? He doesn't know, and, and I think that's what makes this so interesting, that he's, he's still carrying on, he's still looking to debate the issues, he's still out there entertaining, all while this is hanging over his head. If I go, it's just five years. Everybody suffer for what they believe, so I'm going to suffer for what I believe. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Jesus went to jail, Moses, all of God's prophets went to jail. They all called hell. How can a man leave a great name in history if God don't test him? I think the college kids were able to relate to him on a number of levels. One, because he's, he's a rebel, um, and so many of these kids were, were of draft age and worried about serving and also beginning to feel like this war was a mistake. Now, I wouldn't leave the country and leave my people in their struggle. In a way, it's very patriotic. He says, I'm not going to leave America. I'm not going to go overseas. My people's struggle is here. 
He sees himself as somebody who has to stand up. Might be a coward. He's not going to run from this fight. And the image that I have, that's the last thing I want to be is a coward. Everything I do is courageous and bold. I'd be, <laughs> yeah, leaving the country, that'll kill it all. He's trying to explain himself and explain what the Nation of Islam stands for and why he's willing to make this enormous sacrifice. He's saying, um, I, I'm not boxing now and I may never box again because I am so committed to this faith. I can't break away from the Muslim religion because if I did, where would I go? To Martin Luther King, to get my head whooped around Alabama and Georgia? This is also the same decade when Martin Luther King Jr. is addressing racism, but Ali isn't aligning himself with King's civil rights movement. Instead, he is committed to the Nation of Islam with Elijah Muhammad. I'm respected by whites and blacks throughout the country and the world. I have 29 government invitations to Muslim countries. If I left Elijah Muhammad, they can't accept me no more. So where am I going to go? Go out there and march somewhere and get my head whooped trying to live beside somebody hating me? going to a restaurant where they might poison me? Is that where I'm going to go? The civil rights movements are rooted in political change. They're rooted in making laws uh, that will improve the lives of black people and create more equal justice. And the Nation of Islam doesn't go for that. One man believed that intermarriage is the solution and over a period of years, everybody be white. This is what he want to do. And we don't want to do that. So we can't follow his movement. Another man believes that open housing... Better schooling with whites, uh, marrying whites, living with whites, eating with whites, riding with whites. He think that's the solution. We don't think that's the solution. One man believed that getting some matches or some gasoline bums and burn the town down. We don't believe that's the solution. Ali says the effects of slavery are still present in the United States, and black people still have to adapt to white culture. We have been made during slavery 22 million people with amnesia. So we believe that this man who's called a Negro must be woken up to the time he's living in, to true nature, and to what he must do before others respect him. This is the solution. Not begging whites to clean up the ghetto and demonstrate because the government and the mayor don't clean up the ghetto, but the ghetto is not in the neighborhood. The ghetto is in the people. Ali is talking mostly about race. Um, not as much about Vietnam, but the idea of you know, the, the the sins of this war, you know, black people serving disproportionately and dying disproportionately in the American military. All these things are starting to come to the surface. The Negro can say, I went to Vietnam, I fought, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm an American, I'm a man. That's what the Negro can say. I even worked before the war started, 310 long years, 16 hours a day without a payday. We are so humble and meek, but yet and still, you still mistreat us today worse than you did long ago when we start demonstrating. He can say that too. See, if he was wise, he could talk more and say, I've been to Vietnam. He fought, but he really don't know why he fought. He don't know who he was shooting. The man he was shooting didn't put dogs on him and lynch his mama and rape him for 400 years. He just shot, and he was brown too, his own Asiatic brother. He just shot him up, and he come home, and he's not free to shoot for himself. He could say that and more. Ali likes these audiences and, and he learns from them as he goes. So it's, it's symbiotic. They're feeding each other. It's been seven months since Ali's boxing license was suspended and his title of heavyweight champion revoked. The World Boxing Association begins developing a new system to find the next champion. When Ali was stripped of his title, there was no heavyweight champion. And that meant that the WBA, the World Boxing Association, had to find a new champion. 
And normally the only way to become the champion is to defeat the old champion. But since Ali was banned from boxing, they decided to have a tournament, an elimination tournament, to decide who would be the new heavyweight champion. I think the WBA elimination is good because it gives all of the boys a chance to make a living. They need... they. They needed that elimination, even if I was still fighting now and wasn't catching the hell that I'm catching. So this elimination is good to fight to see who's good enough to have the honor to fight me later. Because they don't have nobody around to fight me. I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging. People say, you bragging. Are you conceited? I'm not conceited. I'm convinced. Well, it is bragging, and it's also um, promoting. You know, this is a shtick that he's discovered. He kind of borrows it from uh, Gorgeous George, the wrestler. Bragging means you think you have it when you don't. Gorgeous George loved to brag and demean his opponents, trying to get them angry, trying to sell more tickets. And Ali discovered that this was good business, especially for a young black athlete, because you could make people really angry by challenging white supremacy and by saying, you know, you're smarter and prettier and better than all these other fighters. He's supremely confident. He, someone asked him once, how much of this is an act? How much of this is to sell tickets? And he said, 70%. <laughs> and I just love the fact that he had an exact number in mind. 70% of it was an act. 30% was genuine confidence. They have a computer machine to compare all of the great fighters in the history from John L. Sullivan, Rocky Marciano, Joe Lewis, myself, all of us. During Ali's talk, it doesn't take much to get him to transition from something serious to something fun. And this machine is pretty accurate. They imagine that we fought. And these computers, machines, you hear them over the radio. Ding! Ali comes out to meet Lewis. But Lewis starts to retreat. If Lewis goes back an inch farther, he'll wind up in a ringside seat. Ali swings to the left. Ali swings to the right. Look at the kid carry the fight. <laughs> Lewis keeps backing, but there's not enough room. It's a matter of time. There Ali lowers the boom. Now Lewis disappears from view. The crowd is getting frantic, but our radar stations have picked him up. He's somewhere over the Atlantic. Who would have thought when they came to the fight that they would witness the launching of a colored satellite? The exile from boxing made him into a justice warrior. You could not have Colin Kaepernick taking a knee or the Milwaukee Bucks refusing to play after the murder of George Floyd without Ali. They invoke Ali's legacy. A lot of white people say, shut up and dribble. Just do your jobs. Be grateful for the opportunity you have to be millionaires. And they say, no. Ali taught us that that's not right. That name is synonymous with the struggle. Jonathan Eig, he's a biographer who has extensively researched the life of Muhammad Ali. His book is titled, Ali, A Life. On the next episode of From the Archives, The winds of change are blowing. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the most famous civil rights leaders in American history. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Most can remember his 1963 I Have a Dream speech, but in 1967 he focuses on being awake. Anyone who feels that the problem of racial injustice will work itself out is sleeping through a revolution. Martin Luther King Jr. speaks at an Iowa College convocation six months before his assassination. From the Archives is a podcast exploring significant points in history that took place in Iowa through recently rediscovered recordings from Iowa Public Radio's archive. 
I'm your host, John Pemble. Producing this series with me is Katherine Perkins, Caitlin Troutman, and Rick Brewer. Additional help comes from Matt Searin, Jordan Bonson, Dennis Reese, and Andrea Hansen. Funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Subscribe to this series and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts and talk about it with your friends. From the Archives is a production of Iowa Public Radio.